Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. Before we start today, I just want to make mention that there is so much happening right now in the world. Truth be told, there is a lot that's always happening in the world. And because of news and footage and photography and social media, people's personal cameras and videos, we've been able to document things in a way that we haven't before. But it's also true that there are things that are happening that are beyond the scope of what we're used to. And it's very hard when things happen one after the other or one on top of the other. So I just want to make mention to all the people who are dealing with having COVID or having loved ones who have had it or who passed away from it or who are long haulers who had to watch them suffer and still are watching them suffer. And the fact that our medical staff and first responders are exhausted and overburdened and are beyond being heroes, but need support, emotional and otherwise, to all that's happening in Afghanistan, the people who, through heroic efforts, were airlifted, and to all the people who still need to be rescued and to the country that needs so much and the people there who need leadership and to the people in Haiti who've dealt with one thing after another being hit while they're down to the Gulf Coast and hurricanes and the wildfires and on and on. Take a moment now to think about them and Send a prayer if that's what you feel right doing, but also send support, send supplies, donations, do whatever you can. These are the times that we need to lean in and connect and do for each other and remember each other. Today on the show, I am pleased and proud to have a man named Govinda. He describes himself as a modern mystic who is committed to spiritual growth and enlightenment while simultaneously learning to be a balanced and grounded human being in this world. Govinda has also been an IT consultant in banking and has been a successful internet entrepreneur. He's traveled the world in search of communities and alternative ways of living before he co-founded Awake in Costa Rica in 2020, a community and center dedicated to support and to accelerate what he calls human awakening. The reason that he's on the show today is because he has studied so much about his spiritual self and spiritual communities. So it is sometimes those who are open to these ideas and these beliefs who have been exposed to them in different environments, who are the ones who can say, hmm, of all the places I've been, and I come to this with an open heart and an open mind, I could tell that something was different about this place. This felt wrong. This felt bad. I knew I shouldn't stay. And so sometimes they are the experts on these communities because they don't go in being skeptical. They go in being open. And that means that enough happens while they're there, even for short times at times, that gives them this impression that it would be safest for them to leave and to leave as soon as they can. Govinda is really bright and thoughtful, has a great way of phrasing things, and is talking about a group that hasn't been talked about before and needs much more exposure. Here's Govinda now. 
I want to welcome a very special guest to the show today, somebody who I've only spoken with briefly beforehand, but somebody whose words I was really taken with when I went on to a particular website that was started in response to a group that people have had some problems with. Govinda's writings were powerful to me about his experience and also in the way that he saw the leader and how the leader operated and the narcissistic piece, which is a very important piece, typically nine times out of 10 with people who lead organizations like this. And I know you were not in for long And what that does is it can show you how quickly you can get drawn into something and as the the word that you seduced into something so quickly and totally. But also I think being in something a short time can also help you still have a bit of that distance to see the system, to see what's wrong. There is something unique about that, kind of getting a taste of it coming out and being able to talk about it. So Govinda, would you mind just taking a moment and introducing yourself? Yes. So my name is Govinda and I've been traveling the world for a big part of my life. And I've had a very powerful spiritual process and and awakening that started at a young age when I was 19. And it has really been a big a major theme of my life, although I also have a life that is more business-oriented and uh, I did many things and explored many places and communities around the world. I've been attracted by alternative living communities since, yeah, after my business studies. So when I was 22, I was aware that I wanted a different kind of lifestyle than the lifestyle that Western societies have been embracing and growing into. So, yeah, I have this background that I guess many people who are attracted to these groups have as well. And I've been really attracted to Costa Rica. And I had the chance to have this freedom of being able to choose where I'm going to live because my business is online. I have a company that sells products for wellness and And so I could be where I want, and I researched, and I traveled, and at the end of the day, I decided, okay, Costa Rica. And so I looked in Costa Rica, all the eco-villages, all the groups, all the communities, and then I found this cool group called Sat Yoga, that is led by someone that is presenting himself as Shunyamurti. And I was really attracted and intrigued by this group yes so i researched a bit i read a little the book from shunyamurti and there was a lot of things that i could find similarities in the vision and in the understanding around the spiritual path and all kinds of things so i thought okay that's great i'm gonna land in costa rica go there and see if for me or not, and that's going to be my starting point. So this is what I did. It was in August 2015, so it's already a while ago. Initially, when I arrived there, I felt really enchanted by the space. They have a beautiful land at the top of a mountain. It's very peaceful, very quiet, very conducive to inquiry, to contemplation, to work on yourself in in a very protected, supportive context with a lot of structure in the days we wake up early. And I felt like, yeah, this is going to be great. And and they have this value of of permaculture, which is basically finding a relationship with the land that is really creating harmony and sustenance and, and producing as much as possible locally. I really liked all this whole context. And if you look on on Google reviews, for example, you will see that this place that hosts retreats has really great reviews. It has a a score of 4.9 stars out of five. So it it shows that it's quite enchanting. It's really beautiful, well-organized, 
people are, are lovely, kind, and, and it really felt like there is something authentic here. I really believe in authenticity and the people felt authentic to me. And so I felt like I can be authentic too. And, and, this is a, and, and if it's really about truth and the spiritual, Sat Yoga means basically the yoga of truth. This word Sat, uh, Satnam, Satchitananda, is this Sanskrit word that means truth. And so it's really geared towards actually what is truth, finding truth within ourselves, uh, transcending the identification with the ego, the, the person, and, and really embracing our divine self. So I, I believe that, okay, then I can be authentic and everyone is authentic and it's all about that. And the process that, I've, that I lived there, which was two months, but that felt like a very long time because it was a very intense process for me where a lot happened within myself. It felt like, yeah, a really long time. And at, at the end of this process, I had this major realization about what is hiding within this leader and what is feeding from creating this whole context where people are there and, and listening to him and how he's actually controlling people and their mind and feeding from that. Feeding, but and also connecting or tapping into something within this person that felt really of a very specific energy or vibration that is not his normal self. Like, because when he's his normal self, and you can see his YouTube videos, they have this channel with so many videos, they have 100,000 subscribers, and you listen to him and you feel like, this guy is genuine. He genuinely wants to help people convey the message of truth. And, and that's, I feel, what mostly emanates from that. There is also a little piece of it where he talks, he has these apocalyptic visions about the future, warning people about the collapse of society and these kinds of things, which are playing with the fear. But mostly, there's an intention of goodness. And that's a big part of him. And also what I had not seen initially, there is almost like another entity within this person that usually doesn't really come out, doesn't really express itself directly, but it's kind of in the background. And I had the, the privilege to somehow trigger that part of him in the early days of being there which may, gave me this opportunity to realize things because I can see how it could have been going for much longer if I had not seen the trigger. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So yes, how fortuitous that you were able to trigger this other part of him so that he could start to reveal himself to you. And that does help to create that kind of division kind of emotional and spiritual division where people have this, mm, something's not quite right here moment, which can help you start to step away. And then it becomes, I think, like a domino effect where once you start to see that, you probably started to see other things as well because it fine tunes like your antenna to notice it. I want to be able to hear about those things. What else, once you had this like cascading effect, what else did you start to see? I started to see that in his messages, in his delivery of teachings, there was a lot of judgment disguised. There was a lot of disguise. Like sometimes he would say things that make sense at the intellectual level and that you could follow and say, yeah, yeah, makes sense. But then in the background, the way he says it and the, the tone of his voice and the energy emanating from him is actually delivering a message that is not what is being said. Yeah, I, I kind of realized that he was playing with something like inducing a, a, a state in, in the people following him or listening to him, which is not something that you would see in the videos that he makes public, but it is something that he creates an, an, an energetic environment 
like a vibrational field that is not a, an accurate match or honest reflection of what he's actually saying with his words. If he would talk about something very beautiful or, or making sense in terms of at the spiritual level, actually in the background, there would be, it would be conditioning people to either feel that they are, they are superior, for example, so superiority or fear, the fear of falling out or leaving. There is very much this creating the fear of leaving the group, which is not necessarily made explicit. It's always projected on the dangers of the outside world. And it's not explicitly presented like that. So I started to see the way he was painting people who have left the ashram and who are leaving him. Because when I came there, some something that I felt close to actually was leaving the place. And I was seeing the way he was portraying the character and the spiritual attributes of this person leaving was subtly painting an image of actually this person failed. And would, she, he would not say it like this. He would not associate the person with the name. All this is done in ways that are subtly put in the mind of people with little fragments here and there. And that really creates a, a picture of people where they feel privileged to be there because being outside of the group, it's falling, it is dangerous. It doesn't give me the same opportunity for spiritual growth, etc., etc. So painting a picture of the group as something separate, which goes against what it is teaching around really oneness and the truth of our being, which is all-encompassing, and the fact that we can learn from anything in life, from everyone. So there is this, this dichotomy between what is preaching, saying, and the actual field that is actual, actually his inner reality that is repressed, that he doesn't own. He, doesn't, he will not say, oh, I feel fearful about the world and the potential collapse of society. He would not say that. He, he wants to see it in a way that makes him feel superior or grandiose. So how would he say it just typically? What, what would be the way he would describe that? Say the collapse or the apocalypse, something like that, without it being so obvious. How would he make it seem spiritual or something else? So there are different aspects to that. There is the aspects of painting the, this ashram as, as the, the birth of the new culture, of the rising of the new the new man and only they understand and so it's a it's an opportunity to create something new like the kali yuga it's like kali comes and destroys everything but from from the destruction arises something beautiful something new and we are we are that but kind of maybe saying it in a way a bit less direct than what i'm saying but in in, in many ways he would say that and that's what they stand for. They stand for being the renaissance of the collapse of society, like offering something true and real and authentic and something that has more chances to really start something that is sustainable, that is anchored in the real. It's really about the real. So for him, he presents it in a way that, feels really inviting and, and exciting. And I think many, all leaders would do that. That's the role of a leader is really to enroll people into a vision that they want to, to get along with. And there is then the other side of it, which is that there are things that are not presented, which is a lot of his own fears and guilt, shame, or need to control. But it's a need to control because of insecurities that he doesn't own and he doesn't feel it within himself because it's it doesn't match with his idea and his understanding of himself so it's whatever feels insecure and all these things he will project it he will project it on the people around him he's in this position of okay people listen to me people see me as the guru 
So I don't have to own any any shadow, any shit, basically. It's all others. And the way he will present the vision and everything is, it will subtly imply that he is the prophet or the person who is in this state. Shunyati means the embodiment of emptiness. So what he is implying is that his state of being has reached such a level of perfection that he doesn't have any shadow anymore. He's beyond reflection. Anything that you would want to project on him or to reflect to him, it's actually because you have an ego, you have something that you have to work with, and he doesn't. And therefore, he should not even hear it because it's like, it's, you have to deal with it. So there is something, of course, that is delusional on his side here. And I do believe that at some level of his consciousness, he's really believing in that. It's a bit unclear if he realizes what he's doing or, or to which extent. But it's, he's so far from the emptiness, such great uh, spiritual teachers and masters. He's very far from that. And at the same time, he has a great understanding and depth of understanding and ability to convey a message and to create an understanding in others, which give the, the illusion of people that, okay, he's actually probably that which he talks about. Right. You know, I, you bring up such an important dichotomy where you can see that someone has uh, studied, they have background, they have some wisdom based on certain teachings that they've acquired, and they might have certain insights that they're sharing. They're providing opportunities for people to have spiritual awakening. And they also simultaneously have this part of their psychological development that is stunted usually, and that also is fraught with a lot of needs and emptiness and this sense of being transcendent, being above all others, having also that sort of, not only the insecurity, but this sort of narcissistic way of looking at things, uh, the how dare you, you know, the how dare you not believe in me, also based on some sort of premise that the end of the world is coming and we will be the rebirth. And I mean, I just think about the hubris that goes into a statement like that. And we are the ones, we are the phoenix rising, you know, and we, are, we will be the renaissance. I wouldn't be able to say those words without laughing if I were to say it right. But to be very sure of this, that this is your role does take a lot of feelings of great superiority. And at the same time, the idea that he puts down people who have left, I mean, that's a highly unspiritual thing to do, but it happens almost all the time in more cultic groups, that the people who have left are really seen as less than, and they're defamed, they're shamed. Uh, you know that when you leave, you're going to be talked about in a terrible way because you were there when other people were talked about in that way which also can keep people caught up in that environment for longer because they don't want that to happen to them. But I really see it all as this veiled insecurity and fear of losing your audience. And so if you can put down the people who have left, then it doesn't hurt you. This is their problem. And that's why they couldn't see your greatness. And yes, so much of it is veiled. It's like having a tantrum, basically, but presenting it in a spiritual way, which happens so often in these groups. So that those kinds of examples, I think, are really very important. You also, in, this, in the writing that I saw that you did, you sort of showed the steps of dealing with when you've maybe fallen out of favor with someone who is a, a narcissist. Can you take us through that transitional time that you started to notice what was happening and how you were being treated? Well, first, when I arrived, I really was welcomed by him. And he, he seemed like to see me and to, to say things like, wow, you have such an important role to play here. And he was very accommodating and, and um, really more like trying to put me up 
and, and show me that I am great, basically. Trying to make me feel, wow, you are great. And the way I see it now is that he wanted me there and he wanted to be part of his team. I call it, it's, it can be called narcissistic supply, but he wanted to basically have me recognize him as my leader and follow him unconditionally. So he was first really nice and open and wanting to make himself available. And actually, it, it was like this until the, the, the trigger, the, the event that happened that I can talk briefly about, that trigger that suddenly everything that he said was turned around about me because he was even praising me to the whole group event happened he was saying things about me that I was such an example and this and that all kinds of great things and I was even not I don't feel like I was needing that I don't know but it felt like sometimes maybe too much yeah it's human nature to assume that what's true for us is true for other people and what we like and what we need is what we think other people like and other people need so sometimes when people shower you with a tremendous amount of accolades, it is sometimes a sign that that is what they need because they think that's what's going to make you happy and that's what you need in order to feel good about yourself. But it usually reveals something about the person doing it. Yes, totally. And yeah, this time I, it, was, it was not that much that I would realize, oh, there is something wrong. He's trying to flatter me or something. It was still kind of, okay, he can really like me and, and, or something. But what happened is basically this person who left when I arrived there, I had a very powerful form of soul connection with this person, although there was nothing shared physically in any way because this is not, this, the members there are, actually requested to be celibate and to not engage physically with each other. But there was actually a beautiful form of soul communication happening, an exchange that happened in the spontaneity of the flow there and in authenticity without me trying to do anything about it or just letting it be and revealing that to him because I wanted to be transparent. And this person had been had a special status with him in the past and she he still he still was in in a relationship of a disciple guru even though she left the ashram he still had that dynamic going on and when i revealed to him look there is this beautiful sharing between us and i want to have the space to what we can hold space for each other and explore like it seemed like our connection was bringing up things for her and that there was a potential for some healing or something to happen. And we were both just enjoying each other's presence and revealing that to him, being transparent about it. It really triggered him in a way that at first I didn't understand. I didn't understand if he was playing a game or if he was just trying to teach something by, by being triggered for the sake of pretending, playing something. And actually, I realized that actually he was really triggered. And that totally didn't fit with the image I had of him. And at some point I was like, is there something wrong about me? What did I do wrong here? Is there something I don't see about my behavior that was out of place? And I was really trying to see like, but I was also very, very present in an intense process of meditation and seeing within myself what happened with this person. I was not trying to get anything from this person. I was not trying to become something for this person. It was really, it's something that happened in purity, in sincerity, in authenticity. I was very clear about that. So it could not turn me around on that. I was really... Like for me, this meeting was a, like a beautiful, soul-expanding experience that connected me deeper to myself, to my heart, and to different dimensions of my being. I didn't manipulate or do anything wrong in that context. So I was solid about that. So for me, it was clear that if there was a trigger there and he didn't want to address it even one-on-one, -on -one, 
I was clear that something was wrong with him. And then he didn't even address it directly to me. He was suddenly, suddenly his teachings and the spaces with the whole group changed tone and frequency. Suddenly it was very condemning and judgmental and then making allusions or reference, subtle references to pathological collusion and all kinds of needs and like going into exploring the psyche and talking about the mechanisms of the ego that try to fulfill them by going into a collusion with someone and basically pointing the finger to what I had revealed to him or, or shared openly, but not directly in an attempt to turn me into guilt mode, into shame, guilt, into like, oh my God, I did something wrong. Oh, he knows better. So I'm so sorry. Yes, you're right, you know. And I was like, no, no, that's not what's going on here. I'm not going to go into shame. In those times, and it takes a while because, you know, usually what happens is there is the comment or the punishment, the thing that is presented as something you need to learn about something you've done wrong. Then with a spirit of openness, as most people have in these groups, they absorb the message, assess to see if they did play a part, if this is symbolic of something they need to work on. and. Some people stay there. Some people stay really blaming themselves and it informs their behavior later on. They know not to make those connections with people and others like you, you say, you know, I'm aware enough that I've done my internal checklist and this isn't me. But what could have saved so much time and effort for you and countless other groups is if the leader were honest and could say, I feel threatened. I feel threatened by you having a connection with another person that could be good, that could be moving for you, that might overtake the connection that you have for me. And I get jealous and I can't handle it. So the little boy part of me is having a really hard time with this. I need some work around this and I'm not willing to do it. I've developed a world around me where I don't actually have to look inward. And I am spending most of my days pointing the finger outward and it works most of the time. And so there's no, I think, spiritual and psychological growth that takes place with cultic leaders at all to the same degree as the people who are the followers. But how powerful for you to actually go through the motions, do your due diligence spiritually, check in, and then say, actually, nope, this is you. This isn't me. And how hard that is to suddenly see the person who you're, I think you're hoping to be very different, suddenly see them being very human. Yeah. And if he if, if could have been human, I would have embraced the situation. I would have being open to grow together and to to be with his challenges and to hold space to, to what is there with him, right? But he's not ready to own any piece of anything makes the relationship impossible because if only he sees, he projects on others and then he will not he will not receive. So that for me there is no relationship possible. The way he paints the guru-disciple relationship is very distorted for me because that's not what it is about. I don't think that a teacher, even a spiritual teacher, could not be reflected by their student. If a student feels something or, or perceives something, they should feel free to express and, and say, look, this seems to be that you have this issue right now that seems to be happening to me. And and the teacher should be grateful because even though we play roles of teacher-students, we are always students and, and some a higher principle is teaching us. And this higher principle can actually express itself through the student, reflecting us what we need to learn and see. So as the teacher, we are still we are as much student as the student, uh, spiritually speaking. 
and that was not he, he doesn't see and doesn't acknowledge that and for him it's like he's the ultimate authority and it went even further than that it's it went into him calling this this person that i had this connection with and really fully projecting on me everything that i later realized he has the the need to be the only one the need to he, he actually made her fearful that i was someone who sucked energy out of women that was trying to feed like a, a vampire sucking the the energy of women and and to change her view and and perspective on the beautiful soul exchanges we had and to turn that into the fear and projecting everything like he said oh he wants to have full control over you he wants to play the role of a a guru and that you are his his follower and to have full authority he wants you to be his puppet and then i thought wow that's interesting because i realized this is really what he's doing with the people in his place he's really turning them into people that he can just easily trigger he trigger and ma manipulate through their trigger like pulling cords and he's he's doing that with his discourses with his teachings and and the energies that he puts there and then there is of course the individual sessions where there he goes full on with people full on into getting information about their sensitive points and then exploring their psyche and and really turning that into an opportunity to to control them psychologically he's not an officially trained psychologist but he he is self trained let's say he knows everything about all the psychologists and he's like he knows everything and and he has an, an ability to recognize things and patterns in people so it was such a the complete opposite of my experience of myself and it was actually revealing for me of what his relationship with her was all about and the, that he managed to cut the this powerful soul connection but he managed to deny and cut that and to turn that that into fear and and to win that at least in the short term but it's always in the short term win wow you know so many of these people who are controllers they divide and conquer and so they do need to split people off so that they have total control it says something about your connection to her and what he could vibe from your connection to her and how powerful it was and how powerful it is that he needed to break it apart. And exactly as you're saying, I think when people get involved in these groups, they open up about themselves. And then if somebody really is good and is a good teacher, they will help you with those points that you brought up. Somebody who might be wishing they could be a good teacher, but still hasn't really developed kind of a mature psychological self and does need to control, will use what you share and keep note so they'll know what buttons to push that will really impact you and make you feel shame or make you feel that you need to really look inward at your negative behavior or negative intentions. You know, when people are with controllers, usually if they're more narcissistic in their way, there's so much of a redirection of blame that is mind-boggling for people where they're suddenly called abusive or something, or they're the ones who are the manipulators. And what I'll sometimes do is have people write down all of the things that they were called or told that they were or diagnosed with by that person. and in that list, you have a description of the leader. You have a description of the person who said it because so much of it is a deflection and redirection. But if you're kind and if you're open and you want to be good in this world, you'll take it on for size for a moment and say, well, maybe, maybe they're right. And th that whole process can be a very long, arduous process. I'm wondering, because I know that you were able to leave, there are people who are still there. When you left, first of all, what happened even just on that day? Oh, what happened? Well, it was interesting. I just said to everyone in an email, I sent to everyone, I said, 
I'm going to leave. The thing is, actually, I left. I wanted to stay there to meet him in person and to tell him what I saw. And he would not meet me. He would double my karma yoga. So I had to spend much more time washing dishes, basically trying to show me who is the boss. And he would not even meet me. So this went on for days. And this person had left. And then after several days, this person wrote to me, oh, I want to, I'm confused about the situation. I would like to meet outside of the ashram. And so I, I left for that reason and without having even the opportunity and chance to tell him what I saw in person. So I just basically wrote an email to everyone saying I will connect and meet um, at the lodge before my departure that's going to be at 10 a.m for example i don't remember the time and then the reaction was that i was not allowed to talk to anyone before i left basically <laughs> so it was again very controlling like trying to control the narratives and control everything not wanting other people to express their truth and then the people who became more friends they would be kind and saying goodbye etc but the leadership like the this Shunyamurti and his wife it would it's like glacial glacial like frozen cold not a word not addressing anything that was arising nothing just okay you decide to leave then you oh, is leaving drama drama vibe drama vibe turned on and then basically i just left i just left yeah it's it's of course i can imagine that for people who are emotionally sensitive and secure, having to make that step of actually leaving, it can be super challenging. You, ha you have to find some strength because there is this turn on and of ah, drama. Someone is, someone is leaving. Wow, what, what's happening? And then you are confronted. The whole context becomes a place of you are confronted with your decision. Why are you leaving? Why? It's like a betrayal. You are betraying your community. And it, there is that in the field. There is, and then I received an email after that confirms that this is really what he's trying to put on people. Like, if you leave, you are betraying all of us, your teacher and everyone and your community, your vows and everything. So, yeah, drama, not, not explicit drama, vibrational, energetical drama. Everything seems in peace and in order, nothing out of the ordinary. but in the background, it's like, it feels like very grave. Right. And probably also a lot of gossip in connection with that of people needing to report back to him. It sounds like he needed to control, like you're saying, the narrative. He needed to control the information. And so I, that does add to the drama too, with not knowing whom you can trust. But I think, yes, it very often happens that people will wait to talk to the leader to explain why they're leaving. During that meeting, they're usually talked back into staying and or just they say to themselves, okay, I will stay a little bit longer so I can put off what is clearly not going to go well. And then a lot of the other times, the meeting doesn't take place at all because the leader really isn't interested. They don't care about why you're leaving. They only want you to stay. So as soon as you decide to go, they're done with you. And I think you can feel that, that you suddenly drop off this cliff. Yeah, exactly. I don't feel like he has any interest in the people who stop seeing him the perfect guru and that are open to a relationship that is at the human level. He doesn't have any space in his life. So if, if you step out of that vision for him of the relationship with him, then you, you stop having any meaning. And the only way he will use you is talking about you in a diminishing way so that he preserves the image about himself and his, his creation, his community. So he will still use you, but only, only to uplift him and only to, to paint his virtues and the virtues of the people who are staying with him. So the rest is, is finished. Or he still hopes that maybe you will come back so he will send an email trying to turn you again into guilt and oh maybe he is recognizing you were wrong so he will he will still try that i put my this email visibly for everything on that website satyoga.exposed and there i put the email sent to me at the end showing that 
even when you left, he has still a last hope trying to to turn you back into guilt and bring you back. If you don't bite, that's it. You will only be used for what I explained. Right. Okay. So two things just as we're finishing. One, I want to know just about how people who are there and who have been there for a while, how they're doing, what you saw, if they're okay, if they're suffering, if they're exhausted, if they're conflicted, but don't feel like they have the freedom to leave. What did you notice about the people who were there? Yeah, there is a bit of all of that. There are different profiles, different statuses based on people who have money, people who don't have money, people who who have to work a lot because physically work for their accommodation and food. And so that's a lot of work, plus the teachings. So that's a lot of work. So people get who are in this situation have to work a lot, get a bit exhausted. And then they do feel like, like this is from hearing from people who actually have left after I left. So I, I know what was going on for them because there is not so much interaction that goes on between people. It's kind of also discouraged. So I didn't necessarily hear, but there is there is a lot of distress that is not acknowledged because it's like a fake it till you make it type of, of conditioning where you should be grateful, you should be happy, strong, you can do it. And it's not so much about putting out your challenges for everyone to see and witness. If you have challenges, you're supposed to bring them to him and then he deals with you. So people don't even feel the freedom to share their actual challenges. That's not encouraged. Therefore, it's a bit hard to actually go where everyone is. Everyone is encouraged to radiate or reveal more of their positive side and their enthusiasm about being there. And the, the difficult, the challenging side is reserved for the session. So there is a bit of everything that you mentioned, like uh, people who don't have the psychological strength or other strengths to leave, and they got used to him and they see him as a form of father. And although they, they, there is some form of abuse, they see it as actually not an abuse. So I, I believe people who are still there, they see that relationship as what is supposed to be and what is good for them. And they, they actually, I think people are in a good environment physically. They are not, they are not really physically abused, right? Other than the karma yoga, they are fine. They, are, they have an opportunity to work on themselves and to listen to very powerful teachings in some ways so it's not just bad things it's it's a beautiful environment to to have spent some of your life in some levels and at the same time there is distorted and abusive level of the relationship simultaneously going on so yeah i cannot make a generalization about how people were there are people who are in full collusion with the guru and actually enforcing the the rules or enforcing the the field of control with him thinking that they're actually serving the community and and feeling superior and entitled in their role and and happy that they are doing something so good and so there is all these different levels and statuses from the the low level who is cleaning the toilets to the high level of the basically the director and you have all these roles and statuses and people feel and experience their life there very differently based on their status. Right. Okay. Thank you. That really does paint a picture. I mean, there, there are so many groups. There's so many groups in Costa Rica. There's so many groups all over. And it doesn't matter if they're small or big, you can have this kind of system. And also having people who are used sort of as the police force within it, that's also very common. But just this idea that people get very busy being very busy. And they don't get a chance to, I think, step back and think, how is this actually helping the world? How is this helping me? How am I helping the people in this community? So I think in terms of efforts being used in line with your intention, I want to switch over to the website because I think that's so much of what you've done that here you jumped into something. It made an impact on you. You're wanting to help do education and prevention because of it, which is a beautiful thing. So where can people find the website or anything else that you want them to know about? 
so yeah, when I left, after I left and I integrated this, this experience, I wrote a whole essay about my experience and what I saw and what actually happened and my understandings of things. And I sent it to a, a big number of members of the ashram. And some of them left in the result of that. And I think, I think it's a, a, it, it's, I, for me, it was an offering, an offering to that experience, to that place, to the people. I didn't try to, to achieve anything from it other than share my perspective. So and then I left it at that for all these years. And then recently decided to start this website and to collect testimonials from other members that were there and that wanted to share something. And there are many more that are afraid to write. But there are so many people I talk to that have similar experience and views. And we decided to make it like a, a kind of a space where these things can be brought together and we can process what happened to us and share experiences and, and just have this space to unite our voice and to offer a different perspective than their online presence, which is very powerful with, I said, 100,000 YouTube subscribers, a very beautiful website. And they paint a very beautiful image of their what they are offering, which is a, an aspect of what they are and what they are doing. And it is the truth. And there is another aspect of what they are and what they are doing, which is revealed by people who have been involved there and have a, an experience like myself and others. And it's good to offer that too. So where people can find that is it's Sat Yoga. So that's the name of this group, S-A-T. Uh, dot exposed so you have this very relevant uh, domain name extension so satyoga.exposed it's been a process for me to dare send this sharing to the members and then offer my image name and voice on this website and share what i experienced which i know how it is painted in this place and how they project what they project on me for doing that. There is value in sharing our voice, in, in being courageous, in exposing ourselves. And it, for me, it's, it's part of it is exposing myself and owning also some part of my own fears, some part of my own narcissism that I recognize was brought in exposing myself to that environment and learning from another case of narcissism, which was quite extreme in that case, but in a way it helped me to realize which aspects of these patterns are playing themselves within myself too. Maybe not in ways that manifest so, so controlling, but still subtly also. So, so trying to, to use that opportunity for myself as part of my own journey and growth and learning and share with others. Fantastic. That's quite beautiful. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you and get to know you. And so thank you, Govinda, for your time today and for all of your work. And it was a pleasure. Thank you, Rachel, for inviting me, holding this space and these conversations. And I also look forward to more connection with you. And, and thank you so much. Thank you so much to Govinda for his insights, for his wisdom. Please make sure to go to the website he mentioned and check out his writing about the leader, about the leader's narcissism and how he could see some of the techniques that were used on him and the other followers, how he could see how things were turned around, how he could see that the teachings were there to control, not necessarily to free a person. When you have these places that talk about how, you know, sat, sat yoga, sat is about truth and authenticity. It's about transcending the ego. Well, if you have a leader then who is driven by their ego, there is no way for it to be a place that's healthy. It's also impossible for it to be a place that is authentic because if the whole goal is to transcend the ego, but the leader is ego-driven, then they're at cross-purposes. It's like a zero-sum game. 
What I found so interesting about what he was talking about, too, is that he described there being another entity within this person, something hiding within the leader that he said he was able to trigger early on. He got the leader to reveal his true self. And that's a very important thing to do. Sometimes it's hard to do because you really have to work at it to have someone lower their facade, lower that part of themselves that they have built up as sort of their outward representative of themselves. That's a false front. And sometimes it's easy. And as we've talked about, sometimes it's as easy as saying no, or it's as easy as saying maybe as opposed to yes. Yes, I agree with you. Yes, I think you're so wise. Yes, I will be devoted to you. Or it's as easy as saying, well, maybe not right now to a request. I'll take care of it later. In any of those moments that someone says jump and you don't immediately say how high, you'll often see that entity that is within that person that they are trying to hide. And when you see it, it's very difficult, especially when you've gone to a place like Costa Rica and you've left your life behind and you've made your commitment financial and otherwise, or you've dropped out of school or you sold your business or you ended a relationship you were in and you gave away possessions or you have already given over all of your money and you've already told all the people in your life that this is the best thing ever, and so you feel like you have to stay to kind of save face, it's a very hard thing when you start to see actually what you need to see when you start to see the truth about the leader, that the leader is feeding off of, as Govinda says, the control he has over people. That is not a spiritual teacher. It's not a spiritual mentor. It's not someone you want to emulate. And it's certainly not someone you want to make sacrifices for. What I think is also important is to think about how so many of these leaders have so much, they receive so much, they kind of extract so much, so much attention, so much devotion so much sacrifice, so much cash. And I think at the end of the day, because it's something that they've done purposefully in order to get their ego needs met, and they did it through manipulation, I think that that leaves them really empty inside. Those are not real achievements. It's not hard if you are naturally a manipulator to manipulate people. I might not be good at it. Other people might not be good at it. You have to have a strategic mind, and it has to be of the utmost importance to you because those people have honed their skills over time because it is a true value of theirs. And in fact, it's the way and the only way sometimes that they feel they have value because of what they can take away from somebody else. But I think it's important to think about these people and to not be fooled by them and to not be fooled by the pomp and circumstance and the showiness, to think about this person who Govinda could kind of see through mm, not too far after getting involved and others who have left, who from their talking about it are damaged by it, other people who are too afraid to talk about it, clearly something's going wrong. This same person who runs this group has over 100,000 YouTube subscribers, has a huge fan base. And so what does that mean? That some people can fool a lot of people and some people who want to follow others will not see what they don't want to see. They'll ignore the red flags. But again, I do think 
at the end of the day, the leader, for as much as he's able to extract from people and receive and get and have people donate, really, and this is how a lot of people feel with this personality style, that they're empty inside and they're constantly needing to be filled back up. These people will make you feel day in and day out that you're starting back at square one. All of your devotion kind of is meaningless. That instead of having this place inside of them where they can hold on to people's devotion to them and compliments and all the work that's being done for them or on their behalf, they have instead kind of a sieve, something or colander, whatever you want to call it, that has holes in it, where everything they receive one day kind of drains out and you are kind of given this impression you have to prove yourself again and again and again. And that emptiness is something that is important to think about. Because I think about a quote that I've heard phrased in different ways, but basically the message is the same. That someone who is empty inside leaves way too much room to be full of themselves. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website, at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.